Welcome to the Jig Is Up podcast with your hosts, Darcy and Jason. The Jig Is Up is recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy, as well as the lands of Treaty 6 Nations. We aim to bring you new perspectives and open up conversations about Métis politics, culture, and current events, as well as stories that affect Indigenous from all over. If you like the show, or you don't, or if you want to send us suggestions for guests or topics to discuss on the show, feel free to email us at metispodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on all of the social media at Métis Podcast. All right, well, after almost a year away, we're back. Me and Jason are back with The Jig Is Up. How you doing, Jason? Not bad, sir, and how are things down south? They are fantastic. We uh, we all survived the cold snap and everything, so uh, it's warmer weather now, at least where I'm at. How about you? Yeah, it was actually uh, right around the zero mark and snow was melting. You know, it's nothing like a 40 degree warm up in uh, the middle of uh, February here. Yeah, no January. kidding, right? <laughs> so we're back. We're, it's been almost a year since we uh, recorded the last episode. And in a lot of ways, I feel like we're picking right back up where we left off. But in a lot of ways, I feel like we're kind of almost starting over fresh again. But um we uh, we wanted to talk a little bit, and I think part of the reason we wanted to kick back in was just because some of the stuff that's kind of happening in, in the Métis world, Indigenous world in general. Um, so, I mean, the first thing I want to talk about is the Wet'suwet'en, uh, what I call the Wet'suwet'en invasion, uh, part two. Because last year, in January, they invaded them for the first time, and... Uh, the tensions are up. They're restricting people access to camp. So I thought we'd give that a bit of a shout. And I actually wanted to play a clip of our, you know, the man who walks on water, the next best thing for all Métis, Justin Trudeau, according to David Churchan. Um, I just want to play a little <laughs> clip about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I still remember that stuff. Um, and I just, he's talking about, in this clip, he's talking specifically about the the stuff going on in Iran right now, but I thought it had some interesting things related to the Wet'suwet'en. So I'm just going to play that. I think if there were no uh, tensions, if there was no uh, escalation recently in the region, uh, those uh, Canadians would be right now home with their families. Uh, this is something that happens when you have conflict and war. Innocents bear the brunt of it. And it is a reminder why all of us need to work so hard on de-escalation, on moving forward to reduce tensions and find a pathway that doesn't involve further conflict and all right, so what did you think of that, Jason? Oh, I, I'm all for de-escalation of conflict. This, uh, it, it always, it struck me right away when we heard this, you know, that uh, de-escalation works great when you're faced with an opponent who has, you know, the bomb, <laughs> and uh, not so concerned about de-escalation when you're the one with superior firepower. Well, that's just it. Eh? It's really easy to de-escalate when you you have the the I guess the the worst position, you know, militaristically. Oh. Yeah, it's really that's like like you said. It's really easy to talk about you know stepping back from the brink, backpedaling from conflict when you're clearly faced with stark choices of of an enemy that's you know got equal or superior firepower to you. You know, Absolutely. And then you apply that to the, you know, indigenous situation that we're facing, you know, in all kinds of places in Canada where, you know, we, we see Canada to do anything but de-escalate. Well, that's just it. And I mean, you know, it, it's, it's funny how they can compartmentalize 
one action compared to another. Um, and, you know, I just recently learned that the uh, hereditary chiefs in the Wet'suwet'en Nation actually had given um, Coastal Gas Link uh, Pipeline and, and its planners and everybody uh, alt- possible alternative routes uh, that they would have been okay with. And they got they those were all rejected, and they stuck with the original plan to go directly through traditional lands where there's, you know, sacred lands and things like that, trap lines and things. So, you know, it's 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 interesting how to we can de-escalate other ways, but but in this, when it comes to resources and and things like that, it's just escalate. Let's just send in the paramilitary RCMP and get the job done. Yeah, because it's very colonial, right? As long as the you're the colonial power that that has the upper hand, you'll push the advantage. And that we we've seen that for how many hundreds of years uh, in in colonial dealings with everyone. That's how they deal with themselves, yeah. and how they deal when they come into contact with everyone else. It's always the the thought of is this adversary more powerful than me, or am I more powerful than them? Do I de-escalate because they're more powerful than me or can I steamroller them because I'm more powerful than they are exactly exactly so and it's it's interesting because a year ago we were talking about these same things um and they were doing the exact same things they were you know sending in the, the RCMP they were they were removing people from camp and uh you know it's I I hate to like it it just seems like anything on this land when it comes to indigenous land uh, first of all, you know, indigenous land like the re- reserves is only like 0.2% of the land mass in Canada. And yet for some reason it's interesting how pipelines can't seem to ever go around that 0.2% or mining operations or forestry operations or you name it, any type of resource extraction. It just has to happen on that 0.2% of the lands. Uh, so that's interesting too. But it's just, it's kind of the same thing over and over. You know, we had Gustafson Lake, we had Oka, we have this, we have the, the fracking protesters out east a couple of years ago that were, you know, snipers and taken away by paramilitary. Um, so it's, it, it is, I think you get and hit it right at the start where it's like, as long as you got the guns, the, the firepower, then it's okay to just keep escalating. Well, and I, I think in a lot of ways, it's that whole colonial mindset too, is that they're trying to keep Indigenous people in check and they're trying to keep the media spin in check because they don't want to, you know, in the common consciousness of Joe Canadian, they don't want the government to be seen as backing down, caving in to First Nations um, on especially what they feel is their own land. They don't want to add validity to that. You know, the the government doesn't want to be seen as saying, oh, hey, you're absolutely right. That land really isn't ours. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. What what does that do for the sovereignty of the crown? If the crown says, oh, you're right, we have to go around. We have to take that alternative route to put the pipeline in. Well, and this one's an interesting example, too, because as we mentioned, I'm sure, on the previous episodes when we talked about this, um... The Wet'suwet'en had won a court case in Canadian court stating that they had never ceded their land to Canada um, and that they had sovereign control over their land, which essentially sets them up as their own nation within Canada. One of the few that can honestly say Canada's own legal system said, nope, you're you're sovereign, you're, you're your own people, you control that land. And so it's like, I think 
you know, maybe it's a conspiracy theory and theorist in me or something, but honestly, I think it's just Canada exerting control just so they can exert control and show everybody, yeah, we're going to do what we want, no matter what, whether or not you guys have ceded the land to Canada or not. We don't care. We're taking it. Um, so I, I think you're right. It, like it's very colonial, very colonial attitude, and and I don't think it. You know, I I know that this always gets muddied with. We want pipelines. We don't want pipelines. But for me, it's not really about whether or not we should put the pipeline in. I think I've always been very clear on my opinion is, is I think pipelines and everything are great as long as the people want them. As long as the people say, yeah, no, it's okay. Put a pipeline there. And here's a case where, you know, I just found out they, they gave them a different right array or routes and they were all rejected. And I you just can't help but wonder, gee, I, like why? Why would you reject the routes that they would agree to and go for the one that they wouldn't? And I honestly, I have to, I have to go back to, I think it's a way to make uh, Indigenous people look, look bad in the media. Um, and as much as Trudeau talks about, you know, the most important relationship is the one with Indigenous, I think in a lot of ways, they it's a, just another way to continue to perpetuate uh, racism and hatred towards Indigenous people. Like, oh, we'll put them on the other side of the pipeline debate, no matter what, and then we'll get all the support. And uh, I, I just think it's terrible, personally. Well, again, it's, it sets up this adversarial relationship. It's, it's the most important relationship because it's the one that Canada ultimately has to win. Yes. Uh, the, the legal system, the Canadian state has to come out on top in this relationship in reasserting its absolute sovereignty over its claimed territory. Yeah. Um, so even though it loses in the court and the court says, sure, that's your territory, you're sovereign over it, right up until we, the crown, we, the government, decide that we are actually in charge. And then your sovereignty really doesn't mean, you know, more than a hill of beans because we have the RCMP who will push through any corporate thing we want. Yeah. And, and that's what it boils down to. You, you're talking about a corporation that was given an alternative, but that alternative, I guarantee you probably cost more because it was going to mean more pipe, different route. Um, yep. And they'd have to resurvey it and all the other stuff that goes with that. And so it's really setting up Indigenous people to look anti-Canadian. Yes. An, a, a, Anti-development. Yep. Anti-job. And that is the relationship that Canada wants to win. They want to paint Indigenous people in this light so that it is seen as this disruptive minority force that really hasn't a legitimate title. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You can win in court all you like, but you can't really stop the state from asserting its sovereignty. So can you really be sovereign? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's... um. And, and, you know, one, another interesting side effect of this, too, is, um, you know, we've talked about previous episodes about how when it comes to, like, Métis people and Indigenous people, the government likes to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. And, I, you know, I, I really truly believe that that's kind of a, this is a good example of that, where they've got some Indigenous that are pro-pipeline, some Indigenous that are anti-pipeline. And now whether the Wet'suwet'en are, are either, um, it doesn't matter because they're going to pit them against the pro-pipeline people and make sure that the indigenous now start fighting with each other um, rather than focusing on the fact that this is, this is sovereign land. So this is an invasion of Canada onto somebody else's land, which anywhere else in the world would be considered an act of war. 
Um, so it's, to me, it's less about the pipeline and it's more about Canada's ability to just walk into wherever they want and put whatever they want, wherever they want. Um, but it's just, uh, it's uh, to me, it's another way too, just to keep, keep indigenous fighting amongst themselves and ignoring all of the other crappy crap that the government does to them. So <laughs> that's right. And it's very typical when you are dealing with, uh, you know, it's an old trick when you are trying to make yourself look good. Uh, when you're talking about uh, first nations, then you roll out the good Indian that supports your cause, mm-hmm. which only further highlights the bad Indian who is stopping you from making Canadians prosperous and Absolutely. putting money in the pockets of Canadians. The bad Indians, see, they're those guys. And yeah. these good Indians over here, so you see, they're the good guys because they are with us. Yeah. No, absolutely. And it's a, it's a great way to do it because, you know, right now they can honestly say, well, hey, you know, it's holding up the Alberta economy. It's holding up billions of dollars worth of revenue. And, and so then, you know, the non-Indigenous portion mm-hmm. of Canada just gets, for the most part, gets a little pissed off at, at Indigenous for, you know, quote, always holding back on resource uh, expansion and extraction. And, uh, and in all honesty... That wasn't that what didn't have to be the case in in the Wet'suwet'en situation, but the government made sure that it was in order to run those narratives. Yeah, and that's the relationship. That's really the that's why it's the most important relationship. Yeah, it's not because they believe it's a relationship they need to fix or that they need to honor. It's a relationship they need to win. Yes, and and that's what this is about. It's about winning the the public mind about how to deal with these issues has nothing to do reconciliation is a word to buy off indigenous people it's not a word used in mainstream canadian media yeah and it's only used by canadian politicians in the context of talking to directly to indigenous people yeah absolutely you're not going to see the cbc on mainline news talking about canada's reconciliatory relationship with first nations they don't say that yeah and and so it's not a word that means anything to the majority of Canadians. Um, and you really see, so why is that? What is the most important relationship? I honestly believe them. I believe they're right. Uh, the Trudeau government's most important relationship is actually with Indigenous people. Yep. But the context of it isn't, isn't to make friends. <laughs> yeah. it's, to win, it's to win that public relations in the broader uh, sense of the Canadian media and the Canadian public. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's uh, it's an interesting and new way and a very effective way of, you know, uh, doing what they set out to do 152 or 53 years ago, which is, you know, get rid of the Indian. Um, in this light, the more you pit non-Indigenous against Indigenous, the more you pit the economy against Indigenous, and the more you pit Indigenous against themselves, the better you are, because then eventually you're just going to, you know, you're going to win a game that is basically just the elimination of uh, Indigenous people as far as having any rights, any, you know, any claim to rights. Um, it's It might be a slow game, but in today's day and age, it's the game to play rather than take people and throw in residential school and do horrible things to them. Well, we'll just do this instead. I mean, it's not like we're creating any further trauma by taking 
women and children and elders out at gunpoint with snipers and full paramilitary and canine units with tanks and and armored vehicles. I mean, that's not going to cause any trauma on anybody. So it's just it's kind of like uh, version two point eight of uh, you know, eradicate the indigenous. Yeah, and it really is is to marginalize them. So it's really irrelevant um, what court cases we win or lose. Mm-hmm. It's really now about public opinion. And as the economy continues to slide and things continue to get tighter, it's going to mean less what we won in court or didn't win. And it's going to mean more about the public opinion of First Nations people who are holding up progress. I mean, we, we know this for an absolute fact, and the RCMP will confirm this for us simply by their actions out there on having a media blockout. Yes. Why do they not want any media reporting on what's going out there? Because yeah. they want to create the narrative, and that narrative is only ever that the Canadian state is for the Canadian people, it's for Canadian jobs, it's for the Canadian economy, yeah. and it's for putting blue-collar, old-stock Canadians <laughs> to work. Yes. And And the Indigenous people are unilaterally opposed to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've seen that with court case after court case. I mean, you know, Harry Daniels won and what happened and what has happened since then that's really been that great for Métis people. Not much. Um, you see all these royal, royal commissions and, and inquiries and all these things, the TRC, it all comes out. It's all got, you know, a calls to action and calls to justice and, and recommendations. And none of it gets enacted on. None of it is actually put into any action. Um, I mean, even now, the BC government supposedly brought in an, an UNDRIP bill to make sure that they were following and complying with UNDRIP. Well, you know, we have the premier of BC coming out and saying, no, the pipeline's going through no matter what. It doesn't matter. Like, <laughs> you guys are done. It's We're done here. Um, so you have, here you have, again, a progressive, left-leaning NDP government who's just was best friends with all the indigenous people when they were looking to get elected. And they've done, they've sided with the Trudeau government, who's a left-leaning progressive, you know, best friends with indigenous when we want them to vote for us. And those guys are the ones that now are ramming this pipe through using, you know, military means, basically. So it's just kind of a, it's, it's a kind of a constant thing where, like you said, you can win a court case, it doesn't really matter because there's there's really nothing to compel the government to do anything quickly. And so, you know, Trudeau ignores it and, and waits until, you know, the liberals are out of favor and then we vote in the blue guys. And, you know, the blue guys are going to come in and probably, uh, you know, not really care uh, like they did last time. And so you'll have eight to ten years of that. And then... You know, you're back to liberals being your best friend again. So it's it's just a constant push of colonialism with no real action, no real change. Well, I think the only one constant um, in in the federal government of Canada is its relationship with Indigenous people as far as it goes to continually marginalize. And the one yes. rule that they will continually uphold is the sovereignty of the crown. Yep. And there's not, there's no undrip, there's no policy, there's no procedure, there's no program that won't be implemented that doesn't have that at its heart. Yeah. That the right of 
the crown's eminent domain over every square inch of First Nations territories and Métis lands is paramount. Absolutely. They won't concede that fact ever, regardless of what legislation they try to put through. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, I, that's going to be a con, uh, one to continue on with. Uh, I mean, it's still ongoing out on the West Coast there. Um, I don't know how much more to that we can expect other than the pipeline is going to get built. It's going in, whether whether they like it or not. So I guess we'll, we'll kind of keep up to date on that. And if there's anything significant that develops, we'll, you know, we'll bring it, bring it back to the show and keep, talk about it again in future episodes. But... The big thing that's been happening in the Métis world that I really want to get into is <laughs> the splitting up of the MNC cartel, uh, which you see, you know, you know, if you look at uh, a lot of cartels around the world, they always end up breaking apart. So we've had the cartel who was solidified when about a year, year and a half ago when we were doing episodes, and it was, here's our map, here's our nation. Ontario's possibly going to be suspended. Um, we no longer recognize communities like the Powley community, uh, Sault Ste. I think it was Sault Ste. Marie. Um, you know all this kind of stuff developing, yeah. and we did a lot of talking on that. <laughs> and now they're all splitting apart. The MNA, the MNO, and the MNS have all basically said to the Canadian government, "Screw the MNC. We want you to deal with us." Um, so what do you think that spells for the future of the big MNC, the cartel? Well, it is really interesting and the timing of it is, is kind of funny. Um, we talked about, um, you know, the signing of these memorandums, the government of Canada, you know, recognizing Métis self-governance in these, uh, agreements. Mm-hmm. And we saw them sign them both with the MNC and we, you know, with uh, the provincial counterparts. And you and I had talked in the in-between about that and how it was interesting that how do you have uh, the MNC be recognized as some kind of form of government yes. and then turn around and recognize the Alberta MNA as a type of government. Well, then which one is the Métis government? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now, now we're seeing where exactly this, the you know, the fruition of this is that, you know, with, uh, you know, how many times have we talked about the uh, budget that the uh, Métis National Council rolls with is pretty hefty. Mm-hmm. And uh, clearly the uh, provincial organizations came to the same conclusion that we had is that that uh, was not money well spent. <laughs> and uh, they, they feel that money should be going into their coffers. Now they feel they're going to be able to spend it better. I'm not convinced, but nope. hey, I am a skeptic. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. and and so now you've got this, you know, now a bit of a pissing match going on, and you have uh, you throw the, into that uh, stew this whole scenario that's going on with the MNO and its uh, invalid membership role with all these self-indigenizing fakers in Ontario yeah. uh, that aren't really Métis. So, y- you know, you have this trifecta now. Uh, of going apart. So you have the MMF supporting the MNC. Big shock there. Yep. Uh, and then you have the three other counterparts saying, you know, we're going to group together ourselves. Yeah. And well, one, go ahead. I was going to say, and where does it leave the uh, MN and BC? Because they uh, 
first of all, they don't have that many votes in the whole MNC structure anyway. Um, and they're kind of now it's, you know, MMF and the MNB or sort of the MNBC, I meant to say, um, like those two are kind of still hanging on to the MNC's, uh, you know, coattails. However, the MMF has all the power in that, in that relationship now. Um, cause basically they have more votes. So, you know, David Chartrand is running the MMF. I think he's actually the interim pre- uh, president of the MNC right now. So he's running both to be honest with you, which I, I don't know if that's a really good idea, but, um, but yeah, so now you have this total imbalance of power where the MNC can basically just do whatever David Chartrand wants. Well, he is the head man. And what I find really interesting in some of the backstory out of this is that uh, our your good friend and mine, Mr. Clem, had stepped down from being the president Yes. to represent the uh, Métis in Saskatchewan in their court case. Yes. So... He's now basically the legal representation for the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan in its federal court case, and the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan no longer wants to recognize the authority of the MNC. <laughs> well, and that's and and also in there is the you know Fort Mackay uh, Métis, which have been very public about denouncing the MNA and their membership to that. Um, so they're operating outside of the Métis Nation already. Um, you have a bunch of individuals on that land claim that are all operating outside the, the MNA, MNS scenario. Um, so you kind of have this mix of like some cartel people and, and, and organizations and some non-cartel organizations and people, which is great for unity. And I, I say, Hey, who cares? Let's just all be Métis. But the truth is, is like, yeah, like Clem would have been fighting against these non-cartel people had he been stayed at the MNC, but now he's their best friend and he's going to win a court case for him. A court case that will benefit non-Métis Nation people and organizations. So it's really weird. Yeah, Yeah, and so right across the whole thing, we've we've talked for the last few years on this. And it's kind of funny to, now that all the money is flowing in and uh, some of the checks are starting to get cashed, how, how about the breakdown is even on the microcosm, you brought up the guys in Northern Alberta and their take on breaking away from the MNA, which is the fact that they don't feel they're being equally represented. They don't feel that their community is receiving its due share through the current structure in Alberta. And so they've approached the federal, the provincial government to deal with them directly as it regards to issues in, in their home community. Yeah. And then we see that exact same conversation play out now federally with the MNA saying that we don't feel we're represented. We don't feel that the money that you're spending on Métis people is is reaching the people here in Alberta. And so we wanted to be deal direct. Yeah. <laughs> so on one hand, Métis communities are telling the provincial government the MNA isn't do cutting it for us. And on the other hand, the MNA is telling the federal government the MNC isn't doing it for us. <laughs> so. It, I, I'm not sure who who's got any legs left to stand on now. <laughs> well, that's just it. I, you know, and I mean, the worst part is, is you could see this happening uh, before it happened. Um, and, you know, I, I just, you know, when we take it back to things like they came out there about a year, a little over a year ago, um, really strong after the uh, meeting they had where they, you know, here's our map. Here's what we are. Here's who the Métis Nation is. We know who we are. We know our people. 
And yet now, because of this uh, three organizations, they haven't split from the MNC, but they've asked the government not to deal with them, but to deal directly to the provincial ones, cutting out the MNC. And so now the MNC, I'm just, uh, they put out a um, press release about this. And basically they're saying now these provincial organizations um, are going, working in contrast to their national definition that they all agreed to. So now you have this national definition they put out a little, bit, a little over a year ago. That was, that was it. This is the national definition. Here's our map. Nothing changes. Like, this is, this is solid. We know who we are. Well, and then a little over a year later, you're going, well, our own nations have split up and they don't follow this anymore. But we still know who we are. <laughs> so who, who's the Métis Nation? Is it Métis Nation of Alberta is Métis Nation? Or is it the MNC is the Métis Nation? What makes up this nation? Well, and, and, and that's the real challenge. So a year ago when we covered this, we had Clam come out and say, that the main key nation of Ontario was specifically being put on probation because of its registry, including um, provincially registered and recognized historic Métis communities. But those historic Métis communities were not part of the Métis Nation, Red River-centric organization. And so there was that, that's why they got put on probation. Yep. Um, but the, the challenge is with this new development, you're really having the MNS and the MNA side with the MNO uh, in a partnership. Yes. So does that mean that those communities that the MNC has taken exception with, Alberta and Saskatchewan don't take exception with? Yeah. And those historic communities in Ontario are being recognized as actual Métis people, even though they have no connection to Red River, as valid? Exactly. Yeah. Like, what does this spell? Because... Clearly, the uh, definition of Métis, as far as uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan is concerned, has some more give and take in it than the absolutivity that we were led to believe the MNC has. Absolutely, and and they they say as much in their press release. Um, you know, they they uh, they go on to say, uh, you know, by not following the Métis national def- definition, Ontario is wrongfully purporting to grant Métis Nation citizenship to people living in eastern Ontario who are not part of the Métis Nation. Their communities in which they live are shamefully and wrongfully, wrongly claimed to be part of historic Métis Nation. These communities are not, have never been, and never can be part of our Métis Nation's history and homeland. But that in and of itself is a lie because they recognized for how many years Sault Ste. Marie and communities like that, they heralded the Pauli decision as a great victory for the Métis Nation. But now you're saying they were never part of the Métis Nation. Well, that's a total lie. Like, that's an absolute bold-faced lie. They were part of the Métis Nation. And so you have this, we know who we are, but it shifts around and we're not really sure where to set the goalposts. <laughs> and it's, well, I th- it's crazy. I think that's what really was highlighted for me the last few months and as this has rolled itself out, <clears throat> is they like to talk in absolutes. The MNC likes to talk in absolutes. They have their 2002 definition. And that's absolute. Yeah. You know, then they, they come out after the blue blob map and the suspension of Ontario. Absolutely, like you say, declaring, we know who we are. We know our national symbols. We've trademarked them all. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and so we're absolutely 100% sure. The only thing we left 
we need to do as the Métis Nation is educate the public yes. on who really is Métis Nation and who is not. And not even a year later, here we are, and we have the Métis Nation of Alberta and the Métis Nation of Saskatchewan sitting down with <laughs> with the fakers, yes. with these you know people who can never be part of the Métis Nation, uh, signing a, an agreement to work together. Yeah. Uh, well, how does that work? Right? Well, exactly. Like, uh, who is and who's not Métis, according to these people? Like... Well, and and how do you trust anything they're going to say? Like, a year ago, it was absolute. We came up with this map, and we don't care who we pissed off or what we did. We said, this is the map. This is who we are. This is our territory. This is who's in. Yep. This is who's out. It's, this is it. And a year later, three... Uh, Two of the the big Western province organizations are like, meh, you know what though? <laughs> Not necessarily. Well, and when you look at it, um, like obviously we don't have hard fast numbers, but some of the numbers that I have seen for membership, if you look at their membership, which is a, something else we, we need to definitely mention. Um, but if you look at their membership, I believe Alberta and Ontario, according to stats, can have the most Métis in all of Canada. And I'm sure that the 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 membership of both of those provinces probably is more than all the other provinces combined. Um, so on on that note, really, when you have Ontario and Alberta saying we're going to work together, but we're not doing it under the MNC umbrella, well, that's essentially like seventy percent of your base, uh, whether or not that's tied to funding or whatever it is. But that's like that's a good chunk of your base, probably the vast majority of your base of members. And <laughs> so how do you continue to have this uh, national organization when realistically the MNC now represents one organization in Manitoba and one organization in BC? How is that national now? I mean, it wasn't before because they left out a whole lot of provinces and territories, but how is that even remotely national now? Well, even if you said Machine, the, the Métis Nation, the, the big challenge is when you're looking at the Blue Blob map and its retraction from Ontario completely, and then you're saying, okay, this Blue Blob map nation um, represents the Métis homeland. Yeah. And the people that live inside there, they're authentically Métis, and these are the people that we know who we are. Um, the big challenge is geographically, um, even more than numbers, when you take that blue blob map and all of a sudden you subtract Alberta and Saskatchewan out of there, well, who, who are you representing? Because they lay claim to the states, but you know that that's irrelevant. And you know they lay claim to the Northwest Territories, but they already have their own organization that deals outside the MNC with the federal government. So yeah, you're really left with Manitoba and this wee slice of uh, you know Western Ontario. And then, like you said, combine that now with the fact that, you know, I mean, there is only a million, a little over a million people in, in both Saskatchewan and another million or so people in Manitoba. So it's no wonder the bulk of Métis citizens within the MNC structure would reside in Alberta and Ontario. Yeah. That's a given. Yeah. So the dynamics, both, like you said, on the registry side of things and geographically, according to the map, this really throws the whole MNC Métis nationalism kind of in the, the blender. Yeah. 
you know, you have a, a breakdown right at the community level. You have a mm-hmm. breakdown now uh, at the provincial organizational level. Yeah. And I, I, even with their bylaws and stuff, th- this is a, a big break. And and I think on, a, on another point, what I find com- completely hilarious is if people want to Google, you can look at uh, Clem's interview on APTN where Clem r- confesses that he was all for immediate suspension of the MNO because yes. of their inclusion and then ends, but others supported them like Alberta. And now you're seeing that come to fruition. Yep. And at the same time now, unilaterally, and so the MNC then chides uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan for undemocratically supporting the MNO and yes. undermining the MNC. Yep. But then the MNC unilaterally suspends MNO. Yeah without any consultation or anything else in the end of that process, they just, boom, it was over. Yeah. <laughs> and so who, who's undemocratic, uh, who is democratic, who is representing and who's not? Well, that's just it. Right. Um, you know, there's a couple of things, uh, like one of the things that I, that I read in their, in their, uh, press release that I, I think is, is just telling of exactly what's going on is, uh, this is the Métis National Council now talking about the three, provinces that split apart. The actions of these three individuals are circumventing the definition of the Métis Nation, which amounts to cultural appropriation. This promotes Métis identity theft. This group is putting at risk the birthright of generations of our children. They are sacrificing our people's future. Now, I mean, that's laughable in itself, the fact that they're trying to scare people into leaving these organizations and I don't know what, what are you going to do? Join, are they going to have Métis National Council cards now and membership and you got to redo all your genealogy with them? I, but they're trying to scare everybody into thinking, well, that's it. Uh, they're killing the Métis Nation. And how do Métis people culturally appropriate from Métis people? <laughs> like I, I, I find that moderately hilarious. Um, and Métis identity theft. Well, the Métis Nation of Alberta still represents Métis people, does it not? So how are they appropriating? Yeah, but now they're supporting, they're supporting Ontario. Right? Like, and, and Alberta and Saskatchewan by supporting Ontario. And this is, this is what, what I think is very interesting is saying that is the Métis Nation of Alberta and Ontario support fraudulent Métis communities, fraudulent Métis identity the Western provinces now support these race-shifting, self-indigenizing wannabes who have one ancestor from God knows when yep. into the Métis Nation by by partnering with the MNO. And that that's really the language that they are inadvertently trying to use when they talk about, you know, uh, these communities in Ontario. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a very interesting thing. And one of the last things on the press release side of things that I've seen um, that I thought was absolutely hilarious was uh, they are still continuing to claim there are approximately 400,000 Métis Nation citizens in Canada. And I would like to challenge David Chartrand personally for him to show me, those, show us those, those records, show us those 400,000 Métis members uh, and their cards, copies of their cards. 
I would love to see that that role because I have a suspicion it would be hard pressed to get anywhere close to one hundred and twenty to one hundred and thirty thousand, let alone claiming four hundred thousand. But you know, on the one hand, we have try to scare people into thinking these three organizations are going rogue, and then on the bottom hand, talking about how how they represent all these Métis Nation citizens, but they're just using Stats Can data, even though they don't have that's not their membership role. So, you know, how do you really trust these guys? Like their press yeah. releases filled with lies. Well, and they contradict themselves. Like they, they literally yeah. on one hand are talking about uh, democracy and being democratic. So the MNA and MNS are undemocratic because they unilaterally signed these MOUs to A, be in direct uh, conversation with the federal government and to side with the MNO, which the MNC says is undemocratic. But then unilaterally turns around and enforces a suspension on Ontario without any due process. Yep. So it's like the whole press release is full of the pot calling the kettle black. Yeah. And saying, yeah, but you guys, oh boy, you're bad for doing this. And then they turn around and did the same thing. Yeah, exactly. But they don't talk about that. Exactly. It's like, well, so who's undemocratic? And I'm, I mean, we should talk about that at some point, but I mean, they're not democracy in and of itself is a colonial construct of oppressions but the the reality is is they're they kind of use this language that's very misleading where they like to paint themselves as holier than thou yeah yeah absolutely it's uh like i mean i'm sure we've talked about it before but we could definitely talk about it again like they're they're the way that they run their mnc and the way that the votes are done like i mean metis nation citizens aren't voting on the metis national council's board um president any of those positions um and they're not even given the opportunity to direct their representatives on how they want to vote um their representatives so it's basically just the presidents get to decide how they want to vote so it's really up to them and you know some of this could be coming from the fact that uh you know i know uh here in alberta i think uh, audrey uh tried to run for president of metis national council and she lost and um, you know, I know there's been, I've heard rumors of some animosity, uh, between Audrey and a few of the other, like the Chartrand and the Chartier. And, and so maybe, maybe this is a great opportunity for them to capitalize and get a bigger piece of the pie for themselves and a little bit more power. Maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But, uh, I know on the MNC side, like well, it's it, definitely, yeah, it's definitely, I totally agree with you. It's definitely a power grab. You, you look, you look at. At that's why you go back and, you know, the federal government set it up in such a way to undermine it. You can't sign self-government paperwork, whatever that means, with the federal organized Métis organization and then turn around and sign the same paperwork with the provincial organizations. Exactly. Because then who's really the government? And that's what this whole, you know, thing is about, really, is who is Métis government? Is it yeah. your provincial organization or is it a federal organization? It well, is, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And and we have to keep in mind that they we keep saying government and they use government all the time. And now the press is using government and certainly the federal government, provincial governments like to call them governments. But at the end of the day, these all of these organization, organizations are still nonprofit corporations. Um, so the reality is, is they are not actual governments. They have no authority as a government. Um, even, you know, Métis Nation signed a thing saying that they, 
it was like a, I don't even know what it was, a, a self-governing agreement. But what that hinges on is them having their own constitution. Well, if you phone the Métis Nation and ask them if you can see their constitution, they don't have one. They've been working for years doing consultations on that. They don't have it. Uh, and they probably won't have it for a number of years. So so you're not going to have a government with a constitution for years and years. Um, so they're, they're non-profit corporations, and they're going to continue to operate that way, but call themselves governments. And, I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. Like, this is, it's, it's very clear, I think, that, that some of them are starting to see the, like, why, why should we be underneath somebody else when we don't have to be? What does the MNC do for us? What do they do for Métis Nation of Saskatchewan, Alberta, Ontario? And I, I think, you know, it's a power grab. It's a way to get rid of them because they're kind of just soaking up some money that's supposed to go to the provinces. Um, and I think you have probably a lot of personalities that are like, I'm done dealing with these guys. So it's a very interesting time. That's for sure. Well, and it'll be interesting in the days ahead to see what really happens, what all, what all comes out of this, because like you said, there is no such thing as a Métis government. And I don't really think other than being some other form of administrative body within the construct of Canada, whether that's like a form of municipal government or a form of uh, an independent administration like McMahon or something like that, that you'll ever see them become anything independent. The the yeah. crown isn't going to support that. Um so really, what are we talking about is who's going to be the program and service providers for these, uh, you know, Métis bucks yep. that are rolling from the Trudeau government. Um, obviously, every provincial organization wants to see a bigger share of that, and they don't feel that uh, the MNC should be a gatekeeper. Yeah. The this interesting side product for that conversation that, that interests me is what happens to the boys and girls in Ontario? Yeah. Are, is this a, a sign of legitimizing the communities in Ontario? Well, that, and I, th- I think uh, it almost has maintained? to be, doesn't it? Like, I mean, they've signed agreements with the prov- province and the government stating they are the authority on who's Métis in Ontario. Um, Métis, uh, the, or the province of Ontario has recognized all of those new Métis communities that kind of were the catalyst for a lot of this animosity. Um, but certainly the, like the Sault Ste. Marie's of the world in Ontario are certainly recognized by both federal and provincial governments. So really, I mean, the MNC in this whole map thing, I mean, in this suspension of what what is now a suspension of the MNO and in April uh, possible expulsion from the Métis Nation, uh, but the reality is, is they are they've signed agreements with both governments, both levels of of colonial government, saying they are the Métis government in Ontario. So the Métis Nation, the Métis National Council, really has no authority there, and to begin with, no and. Right. And so it really now boils down to, and this is what's really of interest to me, is the argument within the MNC structure of who's actually and what does it actually mean to be Métis? Because you and I both know that Sault Ste. Marie and these other historic Métis communities in Ontario that are recognized under the Pali case, uh, same as the ones here in Alberta, um, 
are valid. But the, the MNC is not wrong in saying that those communities don't have a historic connection to the Red River community. That's right. Um, people from Red River did not go to Sault Ste. Marie and establish that community. In fact, just the opposite is true. And so how then and what then does the word Métis mean? Yeah. And well, I think it's 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 swinging to uh, a definition I think you and I are much more comfortable with. Well, I think so. And, and that's the reality of this. And, and I, I don't want to say that we predicted this, but we predicted this. Um, <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> What would be about five or six episodes ago, which was about a year, year and a half ago, you know, we said this, this, what, what Chartier has done and, and this, what he's said and the map, they've, they've made it clear that you can be Métis, but you're not necessarily part of the Métis nation. And now I think it's even opened up that a whole lot further in saying, well, now you can be Métis nation and still not be part of the Métis nation. Um, but what's in, what is going to be interesting, and I agree with you, this is going to be interesting to see what happens because um, if if likely, if uh, Chartrand gets his way, the Métis Nation of Ontario will be expelled, which means they'll be completely cut off of the Métis Nation. Well, it, that's a, I mean, there's, we could talk for endlessly just on that alone about the, you know, how that's negative for Métis people, it causes more division. But what it really does, and what, what I think is going to be interesting, is trying to see these nationalists, like a certain professor who likes to put out a book who's not even Métis, and a certain bunch of followers that he has, now claiming, well, the Métis Nation of Ontario, they're just interlopers in, on Métis identity, but but they're the official government of Métis in Ontario, according to the government of Canada, the government of Ontario, and the Métis Nation of Ontario. The Métis people recognize the Métis Nation of Ontario. <laughs> Otherwise, they wouldn't have memberships with them. Uh, so so what's going to happen there, I think, is going to be very, very interesting, and I think it's going to take a lot of steam out of their their sales, and it may even cut into his book sales a little bit and maybe affect his income. Um, but I think that's going to be very interesting, too, because they're, they're already trying to get on that board. And, and I seen something the other day where they these numpties were trying to it's claim that Christy Belcourt isn't even Métis and she's uh, appropriating Métis culture. And I, I mean, I, on some level, I couldn't help but laugh. But on another level, I was just like, what is wrong with you people? And I'm by you people, I mean the people that are trying to say Christy Belcourt isn't Métis. But that's where we're at now. Well, because it, it boils down to that, because that is what we've seen when the Blue Blob map came out. That's exactly what the president's statement was yeah was that who's mating people inside this map if your historic community doesn't come from blah 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 you know what i mean and so yeah. it brings into question everybody who has worked outside of that territory what's really interesting is like what you said that what is it going to mean if the mnc suspends the mno outright uh, disavows its membership role and membership list. Where does that leave the MNA and the MNS in this MOU they signed of understanding to work with the federal government to become representative organizations directly? Yep. The very fact that the Métis Nation of Alberta and Saskatchewan are willing to do this with the MNO, despite the MNC's 
berating the MNO about their fake membership list, where does that leave the definition of Métis? Yeah. How, how can it be a Red River-centric definition when you have, you know, two organizations that are Red River-centric in Alberta and Saskatchewan siding with Ontario? Absolutely. And and you, you and I talked about this before. I mean, I, I sympathize with the MNO. They're in a tough spot. They are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. They have, they have worked with the government. They've done the archaeology. They've done the genealogy. They've done the history. And the communities that pass the Pali are indeed historic Métis communities. Yes. But the problem is with the MNC definition, well, they're not, they're not Red River Métis. Yes. So if the MNO wishes to maintain its position as a representative organization for Métis people within the province of Ontario, they have no choice but to include them. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we talked about this and we saw that coming down the pipeline that that would put them into direct conflict with the MNC in its 2002 definition of Métis. Yep. So here we have a year later, Kapawi, the, the fireworks are going, the grenades are going off. And the same question fundamentally is there. And I think Alberta and Saskatchewan, rightly so, recognize the fact that MNO has no choice but to maintain its membership role, maintain its community, and maintain its legal status within the Ontario government's framework. I mean, no no Métis organization is more entrenched in a provincial governmental situation than the MNO. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't even know if the MMF is that entrenched in the in the provincial government as the MNO. I mean, the MNO has been, you know, recognized for a long time by the M- M- uh, Ontario government. They've, I mean, they, they've got so many things signed and so much recognition. And I, I think the Ontario government had officially, um, you know, in writing recognizes them as the Métis government in Ontario. So, you, you know, you, you want, you know, you're David Chartrand, now you want the Ontario government, the federal government to now back out of all those deals and just say, screw you. Well, that isn't going to happen because there's some votes in there for some of those folks. <laughs> and they're not going to want to do that because then it's going to be look like well, they're more screwing the... Indigenous people even further, right? Well, and more to the point, what would, what would happen then is, is if the MNO bowed to the MNC's pressure, it would force a, two provincial organizations. Yes. One that represented uh, the MNC's jurisdictional Métis people and one that would represent the other historic Métis communities outside. So you'd have to have two, two organizations. Absolutely. Which would, I mean, if you're sitting in on a board position within the MNO and you're looking at saying, well, I go from representing the entire province of Ontario to representing that Louis wedge yeah. <laughs> of just Western Manitoba, Western Ontario, um, and this new organization that we're going to, you know, because we have to jettison our membership, this new organization that's going to take our place is going to represent the bulk. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, I can tell you there's there's no board on earth that would look at that and go, yeah, that's a smart chess move to make. Well, no, because, I mean, you have to keep in mind, these guys are still, they have a duty and an obligation to these nonprofit corporations to do what's at the best interest for those nonprofit corporations, so... You know, even if we're we're really good buddies there, David Chartrand, and, and I'm president of the Métis Nation of Ontario, I have to do what's best for the Métis Nation of Ontario, not you. And what's best is keeping that damn membership as bulky as I can. Because that's a lot of funding and a lot of programs and a lot of staff and a lot of jobs that are 
based on this large membership as opposed to this little sliver of a membership where basically we're going to be a nothing organization that has really no power and authority because we have such a small membership that everybody kind of forgets about us. Um, so of course they're gonna they're gonna do what's best for their organization um, first and foremost because they they have a legal obligation to do that. So it, it's going to be very interesting. Um, we're getting close to an hour here, and I know we me and you could go on about this for forever and ever and ever. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see how it develops, and I'm really curious to see. How much of the, you know, you're not real Métis continues over the next 12 to 24 months from these, you know, outside parties, the the academics of the world, um, or if they just kind of fall silent until kind of the, the settling of the dust. But, um, but we'll definitely keep watching it and reading it and seeing what's going on and uh, giving you guys your our opinion. So, um. I don't know. Like That's I, what we do best. Yeah, it is what we do best. But on that note, um, like Jason and I are definitely going to be bringing the show back. Um, I At this point, I'm not sure if it's going to be weekly. I don't think we've decided that, have we, Jason? I haven't. I, okay. I didn't get a memo yet. So was... <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I haven't put the memos out in the big corporation of the Jig is Up. Um, yeah. But uh, I, I do know we're going to be working on getting some interviews. Um, and, it, you know, there's some, Jason and I are going to try to do some content that's uh, some interviews and stuff that's independent of each other just to try to bring a little bit more to bring the table. some special guests, some special episodes. Yeah. And we're also going to be kickstarting uh, the, uh, Keeping It Real uh, Facebook or not Facebook, um, YouTube again. So, Watch for that over the next uh, month or two. You're going to start to see videos coming out there uh, for sure. And um, yeah, we're more diverse content. Absolutely, man. And so we're we're going to try to uh, not be as I guess not be as political or have as many political shows. Um, hopefully, just more special guests, guests, uh, and more interesting shows. And we might even uh, there was a suggestion by somebody that perhaps we talk about the the Netflix show or the TV show uh, Frontier. Um, and stuff like that. So I think that'd be kind of fun to talk about that a little bit. Um, so yeah, if you got suggestions for content or things you want us to talk about or things you'd like to see, um, or guests that you'd like to see on the show, send us an email once again at matepodcast at gmail.com. And otherwise, I don't know if you have any last wise words from the beard up north there, Jason, but, uh, you got anything for anybody? I, I think I've said my two cents for this night. All right. Well, Oh, for the first time in a long time, I get to say, that's it. The jig is up.